Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at kghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And good morning to you. It's August 6th. It's a Tuesday. Uh-oh. Is there a um, fire alarm drill today? Really? All right. I didn't see a sign in the lobby, but isn't it the first Tuesday in August? Uh, Susan, are you there? I'm, I'm here. Isn't it the first? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yes, it yes, is. is. But there was no sign up in the lobby which usually warns us. So, okay, whatever. Could go either way. <laughs> Steal thyself or forget about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. I'm stealing myself. Okay. okay. All right. Oh, dear. <laughs> that was sort of a sigh. I know. I, know. I don't want to. I don't want to. You don't want to either? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know how we can help it, but I, I mean, what's left to say? Well, this I'm, I'm I'm with the I'm with the, I'm with the people that that are just chanting do something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, they're finally figuring out that to call these uh, disaffected white kids, you know, lone wolves is bullshit. They're more like the the people that joined ISIS. Yeah, that would, did you see that interesting piece about how... Um, it's, a it's a very interesting piece, and I, and I have to, I mean, I'm certainly not, I certainly didn't write it down, but I've been thinking the same thing. What are all of these groups attracted to? Okay, well, I, you know, and I, I'm thinking you're talking about a piece uh, in, the in the New York Times that says yeah. White, yeah. white terrorism shows stunning parallels to rise of Islamic State. And you know when you when you see the case they put forward, it is uh, yeah, um, uh-huh. is no doubt about it. I mean, it says that a lot of uh, experts on terrorism uh, say that what we are seeing is pretty much what we saw with uh, with the rise of uh, Islamic terror. Uh, the parallels are stunning," said. Uh, one of these uh, experts. So, um, and 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 the reason given is they both start with a apocalyptic ideology, right? That uh, right. that a civilization uh, is coming to uh, a conflict that will consume the entire world, um, and. And then they do their their uh, propaganda on social media. So social media then allows them to uh, recruit uh, these so-called lone wolves, people for whom all of this resonates, and it's always young men, almost always young men. I was thinking that on the way here. What do we have in common with all of this? And we never really sort of focus on it. It's men. No, I'm, no. What do you mean we haven't focused on it? It's, it's young, mostly white, 
men, men. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, but the Islamic in, in stuff country, too is is but also it, no, the young Islamic men. Stuff, it's, it's, but it's all they're all the same age. It's at that point when they think their brains are formed in young men, but they aren't. And they, and, they, and, and, and I mean, there's the brain science that goes along with all of this stuff, too. And, and, you know, so that makes this age group, no matter what the color of the skin or what their religion or what is driving them, susceptible to anything. I'm, I'm being told, hang on, I'm not hearing it here. We're getting complaints from uh, listeners that Susan is echoing. Um uh, Let me call back in. I don't know. Uh, wait, uh, Amy says maybe she can do something about it. I, because I don't hear it in my in my headset. But uh, maybe should she call back? We're not sure. You know, uh, can't hurt. Huh? Can't hurt. Can't hurt. I'll call okay. back. All right. All right, so she'll call back in. Thank you for letting us know that. Um, so, yeah, and they also say, obviously, both of these uh, uh, murderous, uh, crazed movements owe uh, their, their uh, quick rise uh, and global rise to uh, the invention of the of the internet <laughs> and of uh, social media. And then as each attack occurs and is blown up on social media as well, I mean, you have the New Zealand guy who flat out uh, live streamed it, um, his attack. And so it perpetuates and perpetuates and perpetuates and, and stopping this cycle uh, becomes very difficult. But if you look at how ISIS came about and now look at white nationalism, uh, they got the same playbook. Uh, Susan, we, we're, you're back? Of course. Of course. I was back a long time ago. Okay, so somebody uh, let us know if Susan's tell, still tell. echoing. Is she still echoing? I don't know. Am I still echoing? Am I still echoing? Echoing. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was uh And by the way, you know, it it's funny and, because and, and then somebody else, else there was a, a same I think also the times a uh conservative commentator whose uh whose name I'm forgetting um is talking about how you you know you you simply can't ignore the fact that the, that the, that these narcissistic uh, nihilistic actions are are coming from a place where everything is a reality show, and it doesn't matter if you're a good hero or a bad hero as long as you're on the show. And that's the behavior that Trump is modeling so effectively. I mean, that's who he is, and that's what he's doing. Okay, Suze, you're still echoing. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's, it's me, guys. I think it's your equipment. Do you want me to hang up? Uh, it's probably us. Um, but I, who the hell knows? I don't know. Ah, uh, damn. Um, are you on a cell phone? 
No. No, I'm on my landline. Do you want me to call you on the cell phone? One more time. Try that. Okay. Okay. Okay, thanks. Sorry. Yeah, I think the problem's here. Thank you all for telling us this. <laughs> oh. Um. So, hang on. Um. We have a caller. Okay, I'll take the caller, and Susan's calling back. Uh, caller, go ahead, please. Hello, Lynn. I'm calling you from Malaysia. Oh, this is who? This is, this is Bree. Oh, Bree. I'm in Malaysia now, no longer in Dubai. Oh, you're yeah. Back. yeah. And I was originally just. Hello? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh oh. I, Susan, I was talking to a, a guy in Malaysia, and then he went out and you popped in. Boy, are we fucked up. Is Susan still echoing? Susan, speak a little bit. I don't know. Here, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say hello. We're trying, We're trying again. again. I don't think it was me that knocked him off. I think that he knocked off and then I said something. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, well, I could sort of hear it. I don't know. I could, I could sort of hear it. You can hear the echo? Okay. All right. All right. It's not me. It's it's you guys. Why don't why don't we try this another okay. day? I'm sorry, Susan. Thank okay. you. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll see you this weekend. I love you. Love you too. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Sorry. And Bree, uh, call back if you can. We can't figure it on our end. And and let it be clear, we've got some total shit equipment. Okay. All right. I just. I just want to tell you that, uh, you know, Amy struggles to make this stuff work and things keep popping up that don't work. And uh, Okay. There was quite a kerfuffle about uh, this headline in today's New York Times. I'm going to assume you're seeing that. Yeah. Um, all hell broke loose when uh, this headline first showed up around 9 p.m. last night. This is the first edition of today's New York Times. Uh, the feeling being that this headline totally misses the moment, totally misses the context totally acts as if Trump urges unity versus racism. This from a president who we know, everybody who's reading that headline knows, has done everything he can to disunify us and to embolden racism. Bree was echoing as well, I'm being told, um, and so it's our whole call-in thing. All right. Sorry, guys. Looks like it's just me today then. God dang it. <sighs> so I started seeing this blow-up on, uh, on Twitter uh, yesterday of people saying they were canceling their subscriptions 
and that has been, and even uh, uh, writers for the New York Times uh, decrying the headline as, I mean, just totally missing the point. I think Beto O'Rourke, again, uh, responded by saying, WTF, what the f- Trump urges unity versus racism. When he traffics and has, and it's how he got elected and how he's seeking to get reelected in disunity and racism. And this is when media try to do what they learned in journalism school. You are the reporter, and the president said this, and so you report it. Um, you know, you report it. That was in normal times. We know the president who said this is a liar. He lies 20 times, uh, 20 times a day. So how do you cover a liar? Just because he reads some words off a friggin' teleprompter in this wooden, totally... Uh, somebody mentioned it looked like uh, he was, uh, you know, reading... Um, something that had been written for a hostage uh, to write. He looked like a hostage. Because those aren't his thoughts. Those aren't his words. And they don't even sound right coming out of his mouth. We know what comes out of his mouth. And then there's the New York Times acting like this was a regular speech. This was normal. And by the way, the two articles underneath it do not in any way mirror Trump urges unity versus racism. They almost immediately uh, put things in context. The times, I've never seen them backpedal so fast. They, um, they got rid, this is the only... Uh, all the other, the second edition, third edition, everything else as a totally different headline. They pulled it. Now, everyone's saying some poor harried headline writer. Um, I don't think the lead headline on the front page of the so-called paper of record doesn't get vetted by more than a, one person. That's, that's my guess. And I have told you I have been souring on the times for some time. And yesterday evening came close to pulling the plug on it myself. It does have some good reporters. And what would I do without the crossword puzzle? Uh, so. And I understand some television reporters also, specifically uh, whoever covers the White House for CBS News, and also Nora O'Donnell for NBC, were doing that. And, you know, Donald Trump turning a page. He's like a new man. You know, totally acting as though the words he spoke we're actually coming from him when any of us know that he is the person who has incited 
thrown gasoline on this fire of hatred that he himself helped ignite and rode to victory. And so to take some friggin' 10-minute speech that he didn't write, that he read woodenly off a teleprompter, and the speech itself didn't even rise to the level of where it should have been. He did in no way acknowledge that his remarks and verbiage might have resulted in, as he said, a mentally ill person going, in no way, of course, took any, any measure of responsibility for his own words. And didn't, didn't introduce or talk about any legislation <laughs> to limit the proliferation of, uh, of gun ownership in this country. And it fell back totally on NRA talking points of its video games and mental illness. Never mind that every other nation on earth has video games and mental illness and they don't have this. Mass murder a day. So what's different about the United States of America? We're the only people susceptible to mental illness and video games? No, the one thing that clearly sets us apart. And you'd have to be deaf, dumb, blind, and beyond belief stupid not to acknowledge that it is guns! All right. To hear a white, white nationalist, an avowed nationalist, right? I don't know if he ever said white nationalist. No, but he said, I'm a nationalist. Uh, a nationalist. Disavow white nationalism. <laughs> I mean, and you take those words as, as truth, as something that this this particular speaker believes? If you do, and if that's your reporting, you're not a reporter. You're not doing your job, especially at this most consequential time. Nora O'Donnell, go back to the friggin' Today Show. Isn't that where she used to be? Go back to the Today Show, babe. You know, in the, in, the, in the Times today, there's a story that Susan and I were talking about, about how um, terrorism uh, scholars and experts are, are saying, you know, hey, yoo-hoo, <laughs> we got a playbook here. We saw it laid out by the rise of Islamic terror and Islamism, and, and now the white nationalists are doing the exact same thing thing. The stunning, crazed uh, violence uh, directed at totally innocent populations, right? 
and then how those tend to pick up in speed and and it's just absolutely these white nationalists are doing everything the Islamists did. Funny, huh? Huh? Ha ha. I don't know if you'll remember that. Um, God knows I do. I was doing my radio show then, and a guy um, whose name I had forgotten, but I was reminded of it today, Daryl Johnson, and uh, he was, you know, a guy you, you normally whose name you don't know because he's sort of working in the shadows um, um, at the Department of Homeland Security, and it was uh, he was an analyst, uh, a terrorism analyst. And he wrote a report that was supposedly an internal report for the Department of Homeland Security, and somebody leaked it. So I remember talking about it, and oh boy, I will never forget the enraged reaction to his report by Republicans. Maybe you will recall. His report said that because we have elected an African-American as president and because there was already concern about immigration and that he saw a definite uptick in, uh, in, in the kind of terror that America has always seen, and he wanted to warn Homeland Security that I think we better worry about domestic white nationalist terror. So he wrote the report. Somebody leaked it. Republicans, really, they went berserk. Because they said the report is suggesting that we that Republicans are terrorists or that our, you know, our policies support this kind of racist uh, terror. I mean, all hell broke loose. And here was something I'll never forget. The Obama administration folded almost immediately it was like a almost immediate capitulation repudiated the report disbanded the domestic terrorism team that Daryl Johnson the author of the report was a part of and in fact he left that position. He was not in government. That was it for him. I don't blame him. So the Obama administration did not have his back. The Obama ad administration, when, when uh, facing this onslaught from Republicans who, you know, really know how to do attack and outrage, they didn't fight back. And maybe that was, again, a calculation of can a black president <laughs> take, the, 
take a strong position here on something that has to do with race. Can we have this black president start calling a bunch of white people racists and potential terrorists? So, again, I may be, I'll cut him some slack and that that might have been in his calculation because, like any black person who rises to a level that no other black person has, uh, different rules apply. They have to do the job better. They have to do the the jump through more hoops. They have to be careful in ways that any white person would not have to. So the Republicans pushed and the Democrats fell back. The report was, of course, correct. But the real uptick in white nationalist violence didn't happen till Obama left office and Trump came in. And that's unusual because history will tell you in our country the far right gets violent when it feels threatened. And it feels threatened when Democrats are in power. So usually upticks in white nationalist and racist violence occur when Democrats are in power because the people perpetrating this terror get really freaked when Republicans, who they feel understand them better, aren't in power. Oklahoma City happened during Bill Clinton's presidency. All assassinations of abortion providers and bombings of abortion, uh, abortion facilities have happened while Democrats are in office. As we know, gun sales skyrocket when Democrats are in office. And as soon as a Republican gets in, all the paranoia on the right tends to tamp down, tends to recede, and this is a this is a um, a pattern that you can see, and scholars of terrorism can see and have said, uh, is the way it works here in this country, and definitely the way it works in the last 40 years. But here we have a Republican president, and yet an uptick in right-wing terror. So that blows the pattern up for the first time. So the pattern doesn't work when the Republican president is himself a paranoid nationalist racist who in fact uses the paranoid racist nationalist arguments 
to rouse his base, to get elected, and to be reelected. So Trump comes in, and the pattern would have suggested that we would have seen a downturn in this violence. But you never had a Republican president who so relished in throwing gasoline on this fire. Interestingly, yesterday when the president was haltingly reading off a teleprompter about racism being bad and nationalism being bad and how we have to come together. Yesterday was the same day that one of Trump's aficionados, a true Trumpian, was sentenced to 20 years in prison for sending bombs to a whole ton of Democrats and journalists. His own defense team used as his defense that Trump sort of told him to do it. Here is a quote from his defense attorney. He heard it from the President of the United States, a man with whom he felt he had a deep personal connection. He became a terrorist because he took the President seriously and literally. And that is why headlines like this are an example of a failure of journalism. This headline is going to be taught, this will be a headline taught in journalism schools. Oh, I'm sorry, Nora, uh, Tony's telling me Nora's from CBS News. Okay, what do I know? She's the new anchor? Oh, wonderful. It's typical of CBS. Apparently CBS goes really easy on Trump. I don't think NBC does all that well either. I don't know, guys. The other thing I couldn't help but note is um, on page seven of today's New York Times, on the bottom is that piece about uh, terrorism experts uh, saying, yowie, yowie, yowie. These white nationalists are totally doing what ISIS did to build the movement. On top of it was a story about how this last July, the month just behind us, was the hottest month ever recorded 
That doesn't mean it was the hottest month ever. But since humans have been able to make these records, it is the hot it, July globally hottest month ever. The melt and the Greenland glaciers, <laughs> the melt in Siberia. I keep seeing more and more and more reports about this stuff. There was this extraordinary piece the other day about uh, it's like a, one of the largest states or something in Russia uh, called Yakut, Lakutia. It's pretty much Siberia. And it's, if it were a country itself, I think I'm remembering it, would it, it would be the seventh largest country landmass. But it's part of Russia, and only about a million people live in this huge, huge expanse because uh, it's uh, not exactly uh, a comfortable climate. It is where my nephew, Hank, spent a year teaching English. And strangely, Yakut, which is what the people there are called, is one of only three delineations that occur on my 23andMe <laughs> readout. Yakut. I think I've told you, I'm 98 point something percent Ashkenazi Jew. I'm almost a purebred. And the only other two things they could identify making up the other just 1% of me was I got a little Swede <laughs> in me. And they can sort of tell when that entered. And my brother, being the, you know, the, the guy he is, knowing so much, said, oh, well, that makes sense because at the time, Sweden had invaded, you know, the nor lower the lower European countries that my folks would have been in. And so, yes, okay, so the Swede comes in in that 17-something. Uh, but the Yakut, and then there's this, and, and they're essentially the Siberian <laughs> tribe. Go figure! But Yakut, this area is becoming increasingly uninhabitable, not because of the temperature, but because the temperature is warming so much. The land, the ground is in upheaval. And there are these, if you look at it from uh, an aerial view, there are these like mounds that where farmland used to be or, 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 or flatland used to be. And it's because of, I, I didn't quite understand it all, the upheaval of the melt that is going on. And my God, mastodons are popping out of the ground. Um, I think the article started with uh, some Siberian wolf, his fangs like still looking like he was about to jump at you. 
He popped out of the ground the other day. They said he was 34,000 years old. I mean, stuff like that. So this is happening all over. And it occurred to me, okay, we're trying to deal with this conflagration of racism and terror in our country. And the reality is the biggest thing happening right now is our globe. And we ain't doing shit. That reminds me of Washington State Governor uh, Inslee, who is the the guy sounding the alarm um, in the Democratic debates, who probably won't be there in the next ones. But I saw a quote from him, and I I appreciated it. He was asked about, you know, you got all these Democrats and they're, you know, circle, you know, it's a circular firing squad. They're going at each other left and right. How the heck are you going to unify around one candidate when you have to take on Trump? And Inslee said, it won't be a problem. Here's his quote. We've got the most unifying gravitational force outside of a black hole. And that's a white nationalist in the White House. I love that quote. We've got the most unifying gravitational force outside of a black hole. And that's a white nationalist in the White House. And if that doesn't stay with every person who wants to see Trump gone, no matter who the Democrat nominee is, then we're doomed. You know, none of the reporting I saw that I read today mentioned that in his teleprompted speech that he actually sent out his, uh, well, I don't know, thoughts and prayers to uh, the people of uh, Toledo, right? Why wouldn't that be mentioned? I mean, that is like, <laughs> why wouldn't that be mentioned? And yes, I guess Biden got it wrong in a private address he was giving to some fundraisers. He also said something about uh, the shootings in Houston. What did he say? Houston and Massachusetts, I think. And I'm thinking, maybe these guys are too old. I don't know. And then somebody else said, well, how can anybody keep it straight? It'll be Toledo tomorrow. Who knows? Ay. But if Toledo was on the prompter, <laughs> he was still reading off the prompter, right? That wasn't an He did not ad lib, I don't think. So that just 
if if he was still reading off the prompter, that tells you something about the uh, the brilliant brain trust he has surrounding him. They're really tuned in. I want to remind you that the city paper's best of uh, best of party is this Thursday, and you're invited. It starts at seven. It's at Nova Place, which used to be, you know, the Allegheny, what they call that? Allegheny Center. Anyway, it's right like where the Children's Museum is. And for 45 bucks, you get two drinks and so much food you don't know what to do with because all the restaurants that make the best of Pittsburgh are represented there and bring their food. So I hear it's a good party if you're looking. Oh, dear. Okay, that was sort of a side, too. Hey, tomorrow, I have a guest tomorrow, I think. Did you know that? Oh, God. Let me double check. It just occurred to me. Uh-oh. I think I have a guest tomorrow, and I think I have a guest Thursday. Uh, so we don't have to talk about Donald Trump uh, for the rest of uh, this week. Yeah, I do. I have a guest. Her name is Ella Mason. And uh, I don't know. I'm going to be meeting her about the same time you are. Sounds like a fascinating woman. She's mostly a dancer, but she's also been a stripper downtown here. And we're going to talk to her about that. She's a graduate, I believe, of Sarah Lawrence. Some really good school. <laughs> uh, anyway, so she'll be joining us, and she also has a show um, uh, going on, which uh, she wants to publicize. But uh, she'll be coming in at 10.30. So actually, we do have a half hour to upset ourselves. And um, on Thursday, by because you browbeat it, me into it, Sally Wigan will be uh, spending the hour with us. Also, Stan Saverin uh, in two weeks. So we've got a lot of folks coming in. And again, this is my effort to keep myself uh, sane. Yesterday, I recall like squawking some about uh, how this is not an exceptional country. I mean, it is exceptional in many ways. That's I, let me backtrack. It's exceptional in many ways, and in in many ways, it's exceptional in a wrong way. Um, and increasingly, American exceptionalism is a negative because we seem to be coming unmoored from the positive nature of what had been American exceptionalism. We see part of our exceptionalism 
with the mass murders going on. Because as I said, every other country has video games and mental illness and they don't have what we've got. That makes us set apart from all other nations. By the way, there are nations issuing travel alerts like our State Department does for us about travel to the United States. And many of the nations who have issued travel alerts to their populations are in South America and they are telling their people beware there's violence in that country and it is directed at people who might look like you Okay, that's one way we're exceptional. Here's another one. It, we are the only advanced industrial nation, and believe me, I can start a lot, of, um, a lot of sentences like that. The United States is the only advanced industrial nation that has no national laws guaranteeing paid maternity leave. In every other country with a living standard like we have, Mothers are helped, working mothers are helped and held up by government policy. We do nothing, next to nothing, and we add to the stress of a new mother and growing families. We are also the only advanced economy that does not guarantee workers any vacation. Do you know other countries? I mean, have it in there. That it's federal law. Every person who works gets four weeks off. Paid, paid, paid. We don't even mandate unpaid. The United States has the lowest minimum wage as a percent as a percentage of the median wage, okay? Of any country. It also has the second highest percentage of low-wage workers exceeded only by Latvia. So we're in the... <laughs> Thank you, Latvia. We appreciate uh, you elbowing your way into the most ignominious spot in that particular little graph. And this is, this is another thing about this country that we don't talk about anymore. American workers are just treated like crap. The system here treats workers like crap. When you hear about all these angry Americans, 
on the left, on the right, in the middle. They got reason to be angry. They're treated like crap. And here's a reason. In all those other industrialized nations where workers have less stress, they have labor unions. We really don't anymore. In no other industrial nation do, cor do corporations fight like hell to keep workers from having a seat at the table. And as labor unions have disappeared, and they have, that is when wage stagnation, all the gig economy, all the kinds of stuff that stress the hell out of people trying to make ends meet in this country occurred. And until Americans start to see that correlation, <laughs> American workers ain't going to be in any better shape. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Think of what corporations have done without unions around. Unpaid internships, anyone? That's new. That wasn't anything I ever encountered back in the day. It wouldn't have been allowed. Expecting workers to work 60 to 80 hours a week, prohibiting workers from suing and forcing them into arbitration, which totally, uh, totally favors the employer, and, and then non-compete clauses, forcing them to, and then not to mention, their health insurance is often tied, so they're stuck in some horrible job where they're treated like crap and they can't get out. The only time, this is a fact, the only time during the past century when income inequality narrowed substantially was the 1940s through the 1970s. That's that great post-war boom. And that is when labor unions were at their peak of power. So when an uh, industrial worker had, uh, you know, had a relatively stress-free life, none of the stresses has got now, that was because of unions. And this idea that labor is some huge force, that labor money taints our politics, let me get this right. Corporations outspend labor like 16 to 1 when it comes to political money clout and when it comes to lobbying. So every time you hear, like with Citizens United, they said, well, it's labor unions and corporations will be treated because as if they were like two countervailing forces in this country. 
when we gonna when are we gonna deal with that um Ben writes, a picture revealed that Trump's teleprompter read Texas and Ohio. Trump spontaneously substituted Toledo. Okay. Um, and um, I'm being told, yes, Toni Morrison has died. That's the author of Beloved and the color purple. Jonathan has sent me a letter she wrote to Senator Barack Obama in 2008. Oh, color purple is Alice Walker. Sorry. Shit. Okay, so what did Toni Morrison is beloved, and what else? Oh, God. Um, well, this doesn't even fit anymore, Jonathan. This is after he won. When was the last time this country was guided by someone whose moral center was unembargoed? Someone with courage instead of mere ambition. Someone who truly thinks of his country's citizens as we, not they. Someone who understands what it will take to help America realize the virtues it fancies about itself, what it desperately needs to become in the world. Bluest eye and son of, oh yeah, son of so uh, Solomon. Right? Our future is ripe, outrageously rich in its possibilities, wrote Tony Morrison to Barack Obama. Yet unleashing the glory of that future will require a difficult labor, and some may be so frightened of its birth they will refuse to abandon their nostalgia for the womb. There have been a few prescient leaders in our past, but you are the man for this time. Good luck to you and to us. I must say that when I saw that she had died, I feel ambivalent. I know she is much beloved, and her work, I mean, surely she's won the Pulitzer. I, um, again, I, I, I don't know, but... I am... And this happens because there is something else about Toni Morrison that has uh, made me uh, not want to extol her. And that is th that she traffics in, in uh, anti-Semitism, big time. And as a 98% Jew... Why should I be lauding, lauding somebody who speaks of me 
because she collectively uses the word Jew a lot um, as and uses it as a negative, as a malevolent. And if you doubt me, just... Uh, this happened relatively recently when she was asked what books, by the New York Times Book Review, what books are on your bedside table. And she, she the book she noted and described in just glowing terms was a book whose name I can't remember. I'm sure if you Google Toni Morrison and anti-Semitism, you'll find it. Um, is a book by just this avowed British anti-Semite. Uh, and, and the book that was on her table is a book that is so filled with vitriol and all the old anti-Semitic tropes about Jews. And you know, when I saw that, it was like getting hit in the gut. So, and she refused when it caused an uproar and she stood firm. She would not back down. She would not apologize. She, in fact, doubled down a bit. So I, and this was relatively, it was in the last year or two. I'm sorry. She might be a great writer. She might have written Barack Obama a poetic, wonderful letter. She might be a lot of things, but the one thing that took her from me is her her hatred of my people, my tribe, for reasons that have led to extraordinary violence against my people in history. <laughs> so just like you can't expect a black person to mourn terribly the death of a racist, I'm not inclined to mourn her death either. I'm not I'm not happy. I'm just not able to give I'm sure many of you um my usual obituary kind of rendering. Oh. I have to say that it makes me uncomfortable, but I'm saying it. Hey, what about this uh, tariffs and trade war that Trump's brought us with China? I have to tell you, what, China just confirmed it is suspending agricultural purchases from the United States in response to Trump's newest tariffs? Hey, all you farmers out there. Hey, you farmers who love this guy, who voted for him. You farmers whose bankruptcies are at an all-time high. Hey, you guys, you still sticking with this guy who's destroying your livelihood.
I bet they will. How can they do it? They lost their biggest their biggest customer because of him. And this is potentially going to get extraordinarily ugly. And unfortunately, he doesn't have the kind of more sobering voices he had in his first two years around him. They're gone. And at the time, we didn't even look at them as sobering voices. But it turns out they were compared to what we got now. Just saying. Okay. God, I'm glad there's a stripper on tomorrow. Jesus. Anyway, in the last half hour. Okay. Have a good one, guys. I'm out of here. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.